Well, it's a great honor to be here. I really mean that to open the Bible. Thank you very much for having me. Could you turn, please, to the reading we had so well read for us, John chapter 3. So in the, um, uh, in the Bibles uh, you've got in front of you, uh, that's on page 887. And that would be a huge help to me if you could pick that up and turn to it. John chapter 3, page 887, page 888. If you've got your own Bible, obviously I've no idea what page that's on. So. John 3. Well, I don't know if you've ever played that game. Have you ever played this game? If I had my life all over again. Ever played that game? Of course, you don't actually play that unless you're over 30. If you're under 30, you think you're going to get your act together. So this is irrelevant to you if you're under 30. (laughs) But certainly, once you're over 40 and you reckon you'd have had half your life, you begin to realize that actually, you know, things have gone by. And certainly your body starts telling you that. So I've now got a furniture problem in my body. My chest is in my drawers nowadays. (laughs) And, And you start to get wistful about the things that you haven't had a chance to do. And you think, well, if I had my life all over again... Now, of course, some people can't relate to this at all. I spoke to one person, and this person said to me, well, look, if I had my life all over again, I'd do exactly what I'd done. I thought that showed the most singular lack of imagination. What do you want to do those things again for? You've already done them once. (laughs) Don't you want some new experiences? So, for example, I'd, I'd love to have played a season's rugby with the Maoris in the South Island of New Zealand or with the deeply Christian Western Samoans who are known as the heaviest tacklers in world rugby. Apparently their motto is Acts 20 verse 26, it's better to give than receive. (laughs) I'd like to play the saxophone. I think that's so cool. Or the bagpipes. Or I I don't know, I'd love to play play golf at Augusta. What an experience that would be. I'd want to... Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You can't start again. That's the thing, you can't. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, the funny thing is, when it comes to the Christian faith, and by that I mean when it comes to a relationship with the God who made the glorious day we're in today with the sunshine, can I say, unless you do start again, you never make it. Unless you start again. I wonder if you notice that in our Bible reading, because actually it's so uncompromising, so abrupt and so clear. Have a look down verse 3, if you can. You've got to start again. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, again, you've got to start again. Verse 5, have a look down. Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And again, verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So Jesus is quite categoric here, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot become a Christian unless you're born again. So someone can't enter the Christian life unless this happens. This is fundamental to Christianity. And at this point in time, can I say, speaking from an English perspective, the word born again or the words born again have got the most terrible PR. Appalling. I mean, in England, we're so dim, we think they were invented by an American president to get more votes off the Southern Baptists. We don't think they're biblical. Oh, sorry, if you are a Southern Baptist, welcome. Lovely to have you here today. (laughs) But just to say, in England, we think the phrase born again, we don't think it's from our Bibles. We think it refers to some narrow, emotional, cultic, fringe type of Christianity, which sensible people in England dismiss by saying, well, I'm a Christian, but not one of those born again types. That's what they say. Do you have people like that here? They need to be shot. (laughs) 
No, the necessity of new birth, can I say, is in the original articles of every single Protestant creed. It's there, it's a sinque known, it's a, it's a fundamental of Christian belief. It's not weird, it's not strange, it's not loony fringe. No, this is the issue. It's dynamite about a creator God who breaks into people's lives. That's what we're talking about. So please can you remove any unreflexive prejudice you've got about the phrase. It's not for dogmatic, crazy people. It's not an option. It's a necessity. And there could be nobody who was more shocked that he had to be born again than the man in our passage. Can we see chapter 3, verse 1, Nicodemus? No one could have been more shocked by this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. You see, this man had supposedly all the right credentials to be accepted by God. He's so much to commend him. Surely he doesn't have to start over. Not this guy. I mean, he's a disciplined man, a Pharisee. So the Pharisees said that the religious leaders of the time, the professionals, were not serious enough about God. They were laymen, and they said, we'll be more serious. He was an able man on the Jewish ruling council, a ruler. He was a learned man, Israel's teacher. And verse 2, he comes to Jesus with a question. So, yeah, I mean, I was at theological college with some people who, by the age of 25, some of these guys becoming pastors, had decided that they no longer asked questions, they just answered them. Honestly, I pity the churches they went to. But, you know, they'd be, but Nicodemus isn't like that. He's still got questions. He's still got the humility to ask them. So he's disciplined, he's able, he's learned, he's open. He'd have been thoroughly honest in business. He would have been a faithful husband, a church leader. He would have been a diligent Bible reader. The spiritual state of his children would have been incredibly important to him. I mean, you don't get more moral than this guy. The, fanatics were fan- the, the, the Pharisees were fanatics on morality. So there's more, no one more legalistic, upright, Rotarian than this guy. He's, in England, we'd say, a model of middle-class respectability. So he would have been deeply shaken when Jesus comes to him and he says to him, you need to be born again. So what does Jesus do? He joins a separating line between him and real relationship with God. He says, Nicodemus, you're miles from real relationship with God. Look, now, when actually someone said that to me, I remember, you know, when someone said I needed to be born again, I remember thinking, well, I'm so self-obsessed, I'm sure I do. I mean, I could totally relate to Tennyson when he cried out, ah, for a man to arise in me that the man I am may cease to be. I was in such a shambles, it never occurred to me that I didn't need to start over. But this man, he's such a thoroughly good man. So he would have been shaken when Jesus says, you've got to be born again. So he responds, can we see as we look down with verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? To which Jesus responds, don't muck about. I'm not talking about, do you have that phrase muck about over here? Muck about, don't muck about, don't play games. I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. Yes, you need to be born physically. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh. But you also need to be born spiritually, verse 6. But the spirit gives birth to the spirit. And Nicodemus, all your religious credentials, disciplined, learned, able, moral, a fine father, all those things, 
all your performing, Nicodemus, they're not good enough. They're not good enough. And can I say we can therefore conclude that if a thoroughly good man like Nicodemus needs to be born again, then ladies and gentlemen, can I say with all humility, you need to be born again, and I need to be born again. And so does the kind Hindu, and the gentle Buddhist, and the moral atheist, and the fine Muslim. Whatever your cultural or religious background, Jesus insists you need to be born again. And the question is, why? I mean, surely that's the question. What? Why? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible insists that all of us have said no to God. That we've done that. That in his world, we've said no. That doesn't mean we don't turn up Sunday morning. But we've just, in our lives, said no. We do what I want. We're self-ruling beings. And, you know, some people find it actually very aggravating when that's pointed out. I used to work at Hewlett-Packard, and on my desk I had a a little verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I just stuck it up on my desk. And my colleagues, actually, the more senior they were, the more angry they got with it. This is uh, the words Deuteronomy chapter Uh, uh, 8. Moses uh, is addressing the people of God just before they enter the promised land, as the Lord tells him to address them. And this is what he says. You may say that my power and the strength of my hands have provided this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Do you know my colleagues hated that? Because they were saying, no, no, I've done this. I've done this. I'm producing this wealth myself. No, it's all a gift from God. The ability to do this is his gift. And sin is that religious word that presses us to put ourselves first. So however politely we say, well, it's my goals, it's my agenda, it's my desires, I'm the main character. God, you give me each breath, but you be a footnote, you go to the suburbs. And when we do that, and we've all done it, even Nicodemus, when we do that, it seems such a small thing. It seems such a pathetically small thing, this word sin. Just putting ourselves first. But here's the issue. Ladies and gentlemen, it causes us to die in the spirit world. That's the problem. So all over the McLean this morning, there are charming people. They're fit. They're healthy. They're contributors. But the Bible says they are walking corpses. They are spiritually dead. And it's because of sin... And it's why there is this necessity to be born again. Have a look at verse 7, if you would, just to put this in place. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do you see, he doesn't say you can be, you should be, people like to be. To be Christian, you must be. So what then is the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? Can I just say what it does not mean? I'm not talking about being more moral. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about going back on the diet. I started a diet on New Year's Day, hasn't gone very well, mainly because I decided I'd give up all desserts, all puddings, except on my day off. And then on my first day off, I had six. (laughs) But it's not that. It's not turning over a new leaf. No, no, here's the key. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a radical change that God does. It's not something I do. It's something God does. It's a radical change that God does by the power of his spirit. Verse 8, as we look down, verse 8. It's what he does. 
The wind blows where it wishes, verse 8, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So it's not something I do, it's something that God does. And here's the word, ladies and gentlemen, it's miraculous. This is a miracle we're talking about. So God brings us back to life as new people in the spirit world. He radically changes us and our thinking. So this is a supernatural act of God in which he takes the Holy Spirit and he implants his spirit in the base of our hearts and he gives us a heart transplant. And he thereby gives our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality a whole new direction. I've seen it again and again on the Christian Explored course. I remember years ago, a twin sister came. I've got a twin sister. They really know you. It's actually why I'm so sensitive to women. I was in the womb with a girl. But I've got a twin sister. And let me tell you, they know. A twin sister came and she came and she said, I can't believe the change in my brother. What has happened? Well, this is what has happened. A miracle had taken place. I remember once talking to a rugby mate of mine called Matt, and I was urging him to become a Christian. And he said, look, Rico, it's no point me becoming a Christian. I'll never keep it up. And I said, Matt, given your track record, I agree. I said, what do you think you need to keep, become a Christian, to keep going? And he shrugged his shoulders, and he looked at me, and he said, well, I think I need a miracle. Well, at that point, I nearly fell off my chair. I said, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a miracle in which someone looks exactly the same, They're the same person, but God has caused them to leap into the spirit world. He's given them a heart transplant. And can I say again this morning, as we're near a world capital, probably the most famous, the biggest decisions are made in the world there. As we're near that, can I say, you can't do this yourself. As there's a tradition of, well, you know, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can't do this yourself. It's something God does. Let me tell you what it was like for me. Before it happened to me, I never worried about God. Although I do remember now and again, I would pray that he'd get me through exams at school. So I'd pray things like, oh God, get me through this exam and I'll become a pastor. And here I am. (laughs) There we are. (laughs) But I didn't care about him as long as he did his bits. He left me alone to do mine. I didn't care about him. But after God changed me, it was extraordinary. Do you know, I started to love him. I started to love him, and I was so grateful for what he'd done for me. It was an amazing change. And the Bible, the Bible, I'd pick it up, it was gobbledygook. Do you have that word here? Gobbledygook. I couldn't make head or tail of it. But after God changed me, it was like I'd get the Bible open, and it was as though it had my name and address in it. It was extraordinary. It spoke straight to my heart. Amazing thing. And, 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 and before God changed me, I only ever prayed when I was in trouble. But after God changed me, I wanted to speak to him as though he was a friend. And before I became a Christian, there were many sins, and I didn't give a fig about them as long as I wasn't found out. But afterwards, they became very ugly to me because I know they grieved the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit. And I hated them. It was an amazing change. It was a radical change. It was, it was a heart transplant. It was being born again. Do you know, in some ways, it wasn't unlike surgery. Do you know surgery? The anaesthetist comes in, plunges something into your arm, and do you know surgery? 
the most wonderful euphoria sweeps over you. It's great. Just to say, if you've never had it, pick a part of your body you don't want, go and get it cut off. It's marvellous. I'd thoroughly recommend surgery. I think it's marvellous. Off you go. The nurses look absolutely beautiful. They put you on a trolley. The ceiling floats by. The doors swing open. You see the surgeon. And then suddenly, they say, wake up, wake up, it's over. And within half an hour, you know they've done something. Within an hour, you wish they hadn't. In three hours, you think you're going to die. And after six hours, you're worried you won't die. And here's the issue. All the good work has gone on underneath. You're not conscious of it until later when you see the evidence. That's new birth. It's a bit like that. Now, what is the key thing that I did? I came from a non-Christian home. My father spent 40 years in a tobacco multinational. We were nowhere in terms of Christian faith. What was the key thing I kept doing? Can I say this? I kept hearing the Bible. That's what you do. You keep coming Sunday morning to hear the Bible. You go along to this super Christianity Explored course you're running on, 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 on uh, Thursday night. I say it's super because it looks at Jesus in Mark's gospel. You keep hearing the Bible. And as you keep hearing the Bible, what's happening is God is changing you underneath. So you start to get to the point where you go, do you know Jesus really did die for me? He really is the center of the world. You should do something about that. Now look, I know... I know in a city like this, in a place like Virginia, the urgent is always the enemy of the important. But can I tell you, this is important. Because without it, you're a walking corpse. It's important. And we always make time for what's important to us. You keep hearing the Bible. So what is the new birth? It's a radical change that God does by his spirit. Who needs a new birth? We all do, even Nicodemus. So it's not loony fringe. Thirdly, what is it that God has done so that I can be born again? Please look with me at John 3, verse 16, a very famous verse. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what did God do? Ladies and gentlemen, can I say, he loved us. He loved the world. What did he do? He gave his one and only son, the Lord Jesus. So God allowed Jesus to come and on Good Friday to die on a cross to take the punishment which our sins deserve. So do you remember those words that Jesus cried out on the cross? He's up on the cross on Good Friday and he cries out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Now, if you hear those words, they are not words of physical agony, although he is in physical agony. We get the word uh, excruciating from the Latin word crooks, meaning cross. There are 60 million slaves in the ancient world. This is how you keep them in order. You crucify them. So a fellow slave goes, well, whatever, whatever, my lot, rebellion's not worth it. But that's not what's going on here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is a cry of relational agony. Why have you rejected me? Why have you thrown me out? Now, what is going on there? Um, after Dad grew tobacco in Chile in, in South America, after that, that's where I got my name, Rico Tice, 
Um, silly name. Anyway, after that, we then went to Africa. And I was a little boy in Africa. And in Africa, there was no kids' TV, so I had hobbies. And as a little five-year-old in Africa, my two hobbies were stamp collecting and butterflies. Both were amazing in Africa. And for both of them, you needed one of these, a magnifying glass. But I soon found, as a little boy in Africa, that making little things bigger was not all a magnifying glass could do. I found that if you took one of these out into the midday sun, the possibilities were endless. I found that you could burn a pattern on a fence or a tree and that you could set alight a leaf or a piece of newspaper or even the gardener's hut. I found, that, I found that if you held your twin sister down, you could scare the living daylights out of her with one of these. That was before I thought of ordination into the Anglican church. Anyway, there you have it. You see, you can take a magnifying glass and you can focus the rays of the sun into such a sharp point of intensity that it burns things. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I wonder if you could imagine a massive moral magnifying glass the size of this room. And through it are passed, not the sun's rays, but the gossip, the vitriol, the hatred, the godlessness, the lust, the jealousy in my heart. Do you know, if your heart isn't like that, it's very different from mine. And God's righteous anger comes down, down, down until it hits one man at one point in history with such terrible intensity that on Good Friday he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that is how Jesus rescues me from the wrath to come. And that is how he cleanses me for the new birth. You see, there is no way in which the Spirit is going to come and live in me if my sin is not dealt with. So the cross is the doorway to being born again. And I need cleansing. I don't know if you know what your name means. Do you know what your name means? Paul. Any Pauls here? Paul means little. Helen? Helen? Bright. John? It means the gift of God, which may be a surprise to the person sitting next to you. I don't know. (laughs) The name Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, you know this. The name Jesus means saviour. So the first Christmas, the angel Gabriel said to the Virgin Mary... You'll have a son, you'll give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Well, that means that every time you hear the word Jesus, and can I just say sometimes on the golf course I hear it three or four times a whole, but however you do hear it, however you hear it, it always means the same thing. It always means he died for me. I wonder if we can rehearse that for the week ahead. I'll say the word Jesus, and I wonder if under your breath you can just say He died for me, because that's the heart of the Christian faith. Let's have a practice. So I'll just say it, Jesus. Jesus, he died for me. It's an amazing thing, and it means, ladies and gentlemen, that you must be incredibly precious that God should send his son to die for you, to cleanse you from sin. Well, let's finish now. I'm going to finish, but let's just recap. Who needs the new birth? Everybody, even Nicodemus. What is the new birth? It's something that God does by his spirit. It's not what we do. It is a miracle. What has God done to enable the new birth to happen? He has sent his son to die so that I can be forgiven. Jesus, he died for me. That's what he's done. So finally, as we close now, what does God want us to do? Well, have a look down. Can you see verse 16? It tells us what we're to do. Just let's have a look together as we look down. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, can I just say, what does it mean to be trustworthy? That's what the word believes mean, trusts in. What does it mean to be trustworthy? It means you keep your word. So if I said at the end of this service, if I said, well, look, you know, the, the, the first person to the front, the pulpit at the end of the service gets $20. If I'm trustworthy, I'll give it to you. I'm not. Don't bother coming. But, but if you're trustworthy, you keep your word. Now, what is God's word to us here? Please look down because our souls depend on it. What does his word say? His word says, you will not perish, so you will not go to hell. No, you'll have eternal life if you trust what his son has done for you. So amazingly, if you trust what Jesus has done, God says, I'll forgive you and I will send my Holy Spirit to you. That is a staggering thing. I'll forgive you and I'll send my spirit to make you a new person. Now, we put our trust in Christ by making a decision. Becoming a Christian isn't like catching mumps. You know, one day your throat's a bit sore and a couple of days later it's all up. It's not like that. Becoming a Christian is much more like getting married. You don't wake up the morning after you've got married and say, oh, hello, what are you doing here? By the way, if it was like that for you, you're in need of greater help than we can give you. (laughs) No, I took a marriage recently and I said to the groom, I said, David, will you have Alice? Did you see Will? I didn't say, David, how do you feel? It was the middle of winter. He was sweating like a dog. I said, David, what have you made up your mind to do about this young woman? Will you have her for your lawful wedded wife, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, for better, for worse, for better, for worse? You know what that means? It means whatever the in-laws are like, that's for better, for worse. (laughs) Will you forsake all others and stay with her? And he said, that's what I intend to do. He said, I will. And this morning, ladies and gentlemen, God says this. He says, what do you intend to do about the death of my son? That's what he says. He said, I've sent my son to die. He says, what do you intend to do about the death of my son? That's what he asks us. He says, will you put your trust in me today and believe that I can make you a new person and that I can forgive you, and that we can start again together, because we need to reverse this mess we're in, and trust Jesus. Trust him. Well, I'm going to close by saying a prayer. I'm finished. And this is a prayer for someone who says, look, the new birth has not happened to me. I know that, but I'd like to start again. So here's a prayer that enables that to happen. I hope that wherever you stand, you'll come on the Christianity Explored course on Thursday. Paul and Judy Chelson, who are running the course, will be at the front afterwards. You've got a flyer. Please come. Please bring friends. Go on hearing the Bible. But for some here, they'll say, no, I need to trust in what Christ has done. I need to make that certain. And here's a prayer that enables you to do it. Let me say it first. And if it's right for you, why not echo it in your own heart? when I uh, uh, go through it a second time. Here it is. Heavenly Father, you haven't been at the center of my life, but I want you to take your rightful place as master of my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me 
And please send your spirit to make me into a new person. Well, that's the prayer. Let's say it slowly now, phrase by phrase. I'll say it in the quietness of your heart. If it's right for you, why not echo it? It's what God does. But this is how we respond. So let me say it for you now. And for one or two, I think this will be right. Here it is. Heavenly Father, you haven't been at the center of my life. But I want you to take your rightful place as master of my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me. And please send your spirit to make me into a new person. Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer, I would love to see you afterwards. Um, Paul and Judy will be at the front. I'll be at the front here as well. Please come and see me if you've prayed that. I'd love to introduce you to Paul and Judy as well. And thank you very much for listening. Amen.